Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. How's everybody doing this morning? Good? Are you glad to be in church? Yes. That was, um, I was all excited to get out here and be with you and have a conversation. I was like, Pastor Joe, he was just amazing this morning. And then I forgot about that video. So, <laughs> oh, well, uh, we, we so appreciate Pastor Joe and Katie, our amazing children's pastors. They are, they are next level. So we're so blessed to have them here at the Movement Church. And for those of you I don't know yet, my name is Megan, and my husband Carrie and I were some of the pastors here at the Movement Church. And I just want to tell you, if, if it's your first time with us, we're so honored you chose to be with us today. In fact, Pastor Carrie is not here today, if you haven't noticed yet. He is not here today. He's actually speaking in Tahunga, California. Anyone know where Tahunga is? Okay. Wow, some of you do. That's impressive. L.A. County, we, um, we have some of our board members who are up there, and they called and asked if Pastor Kerry could come and fill in and preach for them while they were out of town. And we're so grateful for the pastors that play a role on our board. Um, the accountability that they offer for Carrie and I and for the Movement Church has just been huge. And so it, when they ask for anything, we're like, yes, we're in. So Pastor Carrie is up there this week preaching to their congregation, and I get to be with you for the last, the last part of our Living with Lions series. And so I'm really excited about that. But before I dive into the message, I just want to take a moment and remind you, does anyone know what is happening next Sunday? You guys are so awake this morning. This is good. And I have a microphone that I don't have to hold. How exciting is that? Like, I can talk with my hands all day long. I'm so excited about it. But listen, Easter is happening next Sunday, and we have so much planned to celebrate. We've got a free waffle truck that's going to be here. I mean, who loves waffles? Who doesn't love waffles? I mean, right? We're going to have waffles. There's gourmet coffee that's going to be handcrafted just for you. And, and we've just got some fun planned for the kids, a glow party, an egg extravaganza. And it's just going to be a celebration because we think Easter is worth celebrating, right? Kind of the best holiday of the entire year. And so we're excited to celebrate but listen, it won't be the same without the people who are not here yet, right? There's people that you know all over your neighborhood and in your office and at the school pickup line and all, all over your world that need to be at church. And why? Because they need to know the hope that is found in Jesus, right? And so we have a responsibility to invite. And I actually, before I came up here, was looking for my invitations and I don't have them. But when you walk out the doors today, you're going to be handed some more invitations. And I hope that you have written some names down on a prayer card and you're praying for and believing for the people who need to be here next Sunday. And you're taking those invites and inviting people to join us at church. I'm telling you, 86% of people, if asked, will say yes to coming to church. So listen, sometimes it's just being bold enough to ask. So I want to challenge you, church. Let's make sure we're extending the invitation this week. Are you with me? Yeah? Are you ready to dive into the last part of the series today? Yes? I think I got through all those announcements. 
Hey, I'm excited because this series has been so good and so challenging for us as a church. And, and if you're new with us today, let me just kind of recap a tiny bit for you. But you can always go back and listen to the podcast and catch up a little bit. But this series is, is taken out of the book of Daniel. And it's called Living with Lions. Because if you know anything about Daniel's story, you know that at one point in his life, he was thrown into a lion's den and he survived because God was on his side. And so we've just kind of been unpacking the why behind the what and all of that. And, and this series is all about learning to stand firm and love well in a culture of compromise. To stand firm and love well in a culture of compromise. You see, Daniel lived this so well. He learned how to stand firm in his convictions and his beliefs, but he maintained his influence. You see, if you study the scripture, if you go back into the book of Daniel, you'll find a king named Nebuchadnezzar. Pastor Kerry's talked about this a lot. Funny name there, right? Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar ruled a, a place called Babylon. And the Babylonians went in and they took Israel into captivity in 600 BC. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he had this plan. He wanted to take a few men, a few really good men, some of the, the highest quality men of Israel, and indoctrinate them into the Babylonian culture. And so this is where we find Daniel and three of his friends, some of you are familiar with them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And actually, if you were here in week one, Pastor Kerry talked about how culture will try to rename you, which is what happened to Daniel's friends. And, and I just want to encourage you, go back and listen to that because it was such a powerful message. And, and then he talked about Babylon being not just a location, but a mentality, that we struggle with. And the, the Babylon mentality is really the mentality of pride. And every single one of us has to fight that thing inside of our own personal lives. And, and really, this whole series has been about the fact that culture back then and today really does want us to adopt and adapt to the belief system of our culture. And unfortunately, the church has not really done the best job in responding to that. And so I've noticed that over, over time, in the past few decades, the church has either taken a very dogmatic approach to truth or a very unholy approach to grace. You see, a dogmatic approach to truth says, I can stand really firm in my faith and I'm going to make it to heaven. And the problem with it is I lose all of my friends and my influence along the way. The dogmatic approach to truth is I'm right and you're wrong. Turn or burn, right? That's kind of the dogmatic approach to truth. But then the unholy approach to grace, grace says that in order for me to have any influence, I've got to just kind of water down the gospel, make it feel appealing to people, make it kind of fit with what people need or what they think is right. And, and that's not okay either. And see, Jesus, he brought the truth and grace all at the same time. And last week, Pastor Kerry talked about standing. He talked about standing firm in this culture and that sometimes culture may ask us to decide. And thank God we live in the United States of America because I'll tell you what, we may never stand and have to decide between life and death. There are countries around the world that when they stand up for Christ, that they are actually choosing a sentence of death. And that still happens today. And that may not be the decision that we have to make in our lifetime, but culture will ask us to stand for the truth or not. 
And you know, Pastor Kerry said, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for everything. So today, what I want to do is really come in and talk about doing everything we do in love, doing everything we do in love. And if you'd like to follow along today, you can text the word notes to the number that they'll put up on the screen. And we've got that for you in you version. Or maybe you just jot down notes in your phone, whatever you want to do. But I'm telling you, take some notes because it's going to be worth it. There's going to be some keys in here that we can all walk away with and apply to our life. But before we fully, fully dive into this, can, can we bow our heads and close our eyes? I just want to pray. Jesus, I thank you for what you're going to do in this place today. God, we just open our hearts and our minds to you. God, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us with your truth, and God, that when we walk out the doors today, that we'd be challenged to apply something to our life. Thank you for what you're going to do in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. You know, before I start unpacking the scripture this morning, I was getting ready, and I thought, I've got to tell the church this story, because if you can't laugh at yourself, then you really just can't enjoy life, right? And so... uh, on Friday night or the wee hours of Saturday morning, I'm not sure, I uh, got up in the middle of the night to use the restroom. And uh, it was pitch black. And I don't like to turn lights on for two reasons. Number one, I don't want to wake anybody up. But actually, I read this thing about how lights and melatonin and it affects how you sleep. And if you turn the lights on, you're not going to be able to get back to sleep very well. So I'd rather fumble in the dark to get to the bathroom, right? I know, it's probably ridiculous, but I think it's kind of true. So anyhow, my house has been fully under construction. Super exciting. This time last year, it was the same thing, but fully under construction. There are holes in the majority of the walls in my condo. And um, right now, there's about 12 giant generated fans blowing air into the walls to make sure that it dries them out. Uh, And I may not be doing the technical terms correct, but there's a lot of stinking fans in my house. It's loud and they're huge and they're everywhere, right? Well, in my sleep, when I woke up to go to the restroom, I forgot about the fans. And um, heading into the bathroom and literally, like, I, I don't think I've fallen this hard in my entire life, but I literally hit one of those fans and went flying. And I knew I was going down. Like, and it's like things happen in slow motion, you know? And I'm like, ah, and I catch myself on the counter with my hand. I have this bruise here and here on my arm. And I catch myself, thank goodness, didn't crack my head open, but I hit the ground fully. And it hurts a lot worse to hit the ground when you're an adult than when you're a kid. That's all I know. And I literally start sobbing like a baby, which is, I I don't cry very easily in those situations. And I was so embarrassed. And Pastor Carrie jumps out of bed and turns the lights on. Are you okay? Are you okay? And I'm like, literally like face scrunched up, sobbing, crying. And he's like, oh my goodness, are you okay? And I'm like, it hurts so bad. And I had to like get myself together to get back into bed. And it was really painful. But I just had this revelation that, you know, um, my problem was that there was some things that could trip me up in my house. And when the lights were off, I couldn't see them clearly. And you see, 
The Bible tells us that the word of God is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And there's going to be things in life that would like to trip us up, would like to take us out, let's be honest. And the word of God, the Bible, actually is a lamp into our feet so we can see clearly where we're walking, so we can know how to avoid pitfalls, right? And so for me, I just wanted to challenge you this morning with my own personal shameful experience that the light is so valuable. And so today, I want to unpack the Word of God for you because I believe that the Word of God is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. So there's something valuable about learning what it says and applying it to our life. Are you ready for that? Okay, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13 through 14. And we have so much room on the stage this morning. I could like dance up here. It's amazing. So... First Corinthians says, be on your guard, be on your guard. What is this telling us? Hey, listen, we have a real enemy. The Bible says he's like a roaring lion, lion sneaking around, looking for whom he can devour. Listen, the enemy does not want for you to fulfill the purpose of God for your life. He does not want it. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to take your kids out. He, he does not want you to succeed in life. So this scripture tells us, be on your guard you got to be aware of this. And then it says, stand firm in the faith. And this is what Pastor Kerry talked about last week. We've got to know how to stand firm in our faith. And that's going to require us to be courageous and to be strong, right? And the next part of the scripture says, do everything in love. Do everything in love. So there's something about faith. There's something about being courageous, but everything we do as a Christ follower must be done in love, right? Galatians 5 verse 6 says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Listen, I think when we hear a scripture like that, we ought to pay attention. The only thing that counts, this is it. We should write this down because all that matters is faith but expressing itself through love. See, there's a quote I heard, and you can write this down. It says, we cannot antagonize and influence at the same time. We cannot antagonize and influence at the same time. I once heard a pastor say, you'll never win your enemies to Christ. So don't have enemies. Don't have enemies. You see, The question in this series has been, how do we have influence and the ability to love without changing the truth of the scripture? That's not ours to change. And the one person who did this even better than Daniel was Jesus. See, Jesus never really got in anybody's face except for the religious people. He got in the religious people's face. In fact, at one point, he he got in their face and said, listen, you've been getting this all wrong. You've been focusing so much on the letter of the law and getting everything exactly right. You've missed the main point. And he comes in in John chapter 13, verse 34 through 35. And it's like, this has been throughout the whole Bible, but Jesus says it like this, a new command I give to you. Why is it that when we tell somebody that something is new, they actually want to pay attention? It's real, right? We all like something new. And so Jesus knew this. And so he goes, a new command. It wasn't new. This had been preached the whole time. But he says, a new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. 
so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you. Now listen, some of you know this scripture and you know what's coming next. But if you didn't know this scripture, what would you say there? What would you say? All people will know that you're a Christian if you get baptized. All people will know that you're a Christ follower if you memorize a lot of the Bible, if you serve a lot, or if you give a lot, right? I mean, those are all good things, but it's not the distinguishing characteristic of Christianity. The scripture says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another. You see, Jesus wants the distinguishing feature of Christianity to be love for one another. And it's so funny because this simple message, sometimes when we teach a message like this, it's easy for people to sit there and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I get that. I get that, Pastor Megan. Like, I know we're supposed to love one another. We love God. We love one another. I know. Like, could we get a little bit of deeper teaching? In fact, sometimes I hear this, Pastor Carrie, Pastor Megan, I love this and all, but could we get a little bit of deeper teaching? And what they really mean by that is confusing. People want to leave here confused. That's what they really mean. And here's the thing I need you to know is that I've been in the ministry for 17 years. I've been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ for 17 years. I can bring you deep theological unpacking of the Bible. I can exegize the scriptures. I can even bring the Greek and Hebrew meaning of different words. But what I know is that the man who is drowning, he doesn't want the Greek word for life raft. He wants you to throw him one, right? And I just got to tell you, church, listen. Theologians actually believe that Jesus only had a handful of messages that he taught. Just a couple messages that he repeated everywhere he went. Because there was a simple truth to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And I think across this nation, and really, I'm going to be honest with you, I think in Orange County, we want a lot of head knowledge We want you to impress me with what you know. We want you to tell me something that I can walk out those doors and I can go, oh, I know something new about Jesus and this unpacking of the scripture because it makes me feel good. But don't tell me what to change. Don't tell me how I might not be living right. You see, we want want this deep unpacking of the scripture, but we've missed the basic principles. So you want some deep teaching. How about love your enemies? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, for the people who are talking bad about you, that you're ticked off at, and you've developed an offense, and you can't forgive them. How about forgive as Christ forgave you? How about bless the needy that are right next door to you? That's the Megan paraphrase, but it's real. Listen, we got to get some of these basic principles down, and this is the message message of Jesus. Love, love one another. You see, 1 Corinthians says, let love be your greatest aim. 
And one of the most famous love passages in the scripture, most of you are familiar with it. Maybe someone spoke it at your wedding, those of you who are married. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is probably one of the most famous love passages in the entire Bible. And when we look at this passage and we, we pull out the verses, we actually come to some conclusions. And I want to share some of those conclusions with you. So if you're in your notes, you can follow along or you can open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. That's what this is based off of. But some of the conclusions we draw about love help us to know that without love, all that I say is ineffective. Without love, all that I say is ineffective. My words don't matter anymore if they don't come out with love. But I'm right. No one likes hearing you talk. It's real. But I'm right. Listen, it's not about winning arguments. It's about winning hearts. We live in this toxic, opinionated, critical, vulgar culture. Excuse me for just a minute while I get onto a soapbox. We, we live in this opinionated, critical culture where we feel like it's our right to share our opinion about everything. Stop it. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 says, If I speak in tongues of men or angels, but have not love. Listen, if you're the smartest, most eloquent person on the planet, if you know it, if you know it all, if you speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, you're like a, a gong, a clanging gong or cymbal, right? It doesn't matter. We live in this culture that's glorified opinion. And I just look at the drum set over there and just imagine that like Joel banging away or Lauren banging away on the cymbals. We would all be so annoyed. We would leave. <laughs> Nobody cares that much about your opinion. Yet we can get so critical and social media has glorified all of this. It's like for some reason, and listen to me, young people in the room, for some reason, we don't have conflict with people face to face anymore. We've decided that text message and social media is the place to air our opinion. Stop it. Stop it. Listen, social media has glorified this. Politics has glorified this. And it's no longer, if I disagree with you, that I just disagree with you. It's like, if I disagree with you, I hate you. And I want you to die, right? I mean, that's pretty much how it is. What in the world has happened to our culture? You know, it's so funny. I get comments all the time on my Instagram or my Facebook posts. And I'm like, you don't even know me. Like, Really? And it's just obnoxious because we think that's the place to share our critical opinion. Someone writes a blog and you think it's your duty to humanity to reply to it, to let them know exactly what you're thinking. Stop it. Stop it. You know, a pastor friend of mine was telling me about some people in his uh, church community that had lost their three-year-old child to a tragic accident in their home. And so this pastor friend of mine obviously didn't know the couple well, but picked up the phone to call and talk with them and pray with them. Can you imagine? And he picked up the phone and called and talked to this father for a while and, and just prayed with the dad and encouraged him. And at the end of the conversation, the dad said, do you know what is the hardest part about all of this? And this pastor friend of mine was like, well, you lost your daughter. I mean, I can't even imagine. And he goes, no. He said, we have a Facebook account. 
And I can't tell you the amount of people who've been posting on our Facebook page telling us what bad parents we are. Even if it were true, and it wasn't in this situation, but even if it were true, you don't say that. What in the world? Listen, Ephesians 4.15 says, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more like Christ. We have a responsibility for the words that come out of our mouth to be reflective of a God in heaven who loves us dearly. Ephesians 4.29, this is one everyone should write down, says this, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. Only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Listen, it's not even according to your needs. It's according to their needs. What do they need right now to feel encouraged? What do they need to hear right now? Is it nagging? Is it you're wrong? No. What can we do to build others up according to their needs? Why? So it may benefit those who listen. Listen, anything we say, anything we say is either building up or tearing down. Anything. And I don't know if anybody in the room feels a little conviction like I do this morning, but as a wife and as a mom, anything that comes out of my mouth is either building up the people in my life or tearing them down. And could we just make a commitment as a church? Could we be a church who actually just is committed to using our words to build others up, to encourage them? to pray for them, to be someone who instills just strength into people? Could we be that kind of church? Yeah. See, the Bible also tells us that without love, all that I know, everything I know is insignificant. You know, knowledge is actually doubling every two to three years. We're getting smarter, but the world is getting worse all at the same time. Doesn't make any sense. But 1 Corinthians 13, 2 says, if I have the gift of prophecy... And I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. Listen, if there's nothing that you don't know, it goes on. If I have not love, I am nothing. If I have not love, I am nothing. Without love, all I believe is insufficient. Without love, all I believe is insufficient. And you're like, well, I believe in Jesus. Well, without love, it doesn't matter. The devil believes in him too. Belief is not enough. We've got to attach behavior with it. The scripture goes on, if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not love, I am nothing. I'm nothing. Without love, all that I give is incomplete. See, the Movement Church is such an amazingly generous church, but we've got to make sure it's our heart and our love for people that we give to that matters. Outside, when you leave today, if you missed last week, we've got a table set up for the kids that we sponsor at our feeding site in Swaziland, South Africa. And they're real kids. We talked about it last week. And we can make a difference in their lives, but we don't do it so that we can talk about making a difference. We do it because those kids matter. They matter. God has a purpose and a plan for them. And if we're not careful, giving could become a point of pride. It could be like, look at what I've done. Look at how much I give, right? 1 Corinthians 13, 3 says, if I give all that I possess to the poor, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. 
See, without love, all I accomplish is inadequate. Without love, all I accomplish is inadequate. There will be a day where we will stand in front of Jesus and we will give an account for our life. And listen to me, everyone in the room right now, I don't know what your faith background is, regardless, permission to belong before you believe, but listen to me, if you're a Christ follower, listen, heaven and hell is not determined by what you do. It's not. It is an act of grace. It is a gift of God. You cannot do anything to earn it. You cannot love others enough for it. It is actually just a decision to extend your hands and receive it. Because what Jesus did for us on the cross is a free gift of salvation. But you need to know that we will stand before Jesus one day and we will give an account for our life. And it won't be about all that we've accomplished. It won't be about all the money that we've made. It won't be about our looks. It won't be about our houses. It won't be about our 401ks. It will be about the life that we lived. And we need to remember that my life minus love equals nothing. My life minus love equals nothing. So now we're like, how do we do this, Megan? <laughs> how are we supposed to love? What does it look like to love well? Well, I would recommend you memorize a scripture. You post it everywhere you are, your mirror when you get ready in the morning, put it in your car when you're driving to work, wherever you can put your screensaver. You look at your phone a lot, right? Put it there, but memorize this scripture found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse four. And it breaks it down for us. And can I just be honest? It's a little bit painful if we're really honest. Because it starts with, love is patient. I mean, we could stop there and work on that for the next few years, couldn't we? I couldn't. Maybe I'm the only one in the room. Love is patient. Man, if we could just work on our patience, our patience with God, he's very patient with us. Could we be patient in waiting for him to fulfill his promises? He will. He's faithful to it. Our patience with our spouse with our children, with our friends, with the people who are driving on the freeway, <laughs> ridiculously slow or ridiculously fast, both are a problem, right? Love is patient. Goes on, love is kind. Kindness happens with our, our words, but also our actions, right? Love is kind. Goes on, it does not envy. That comparison game, that jealousy game, love does not envy. It does not boast, it doesn't need to tell people how good I am. It doesn't boast. It's not arrogant, and it's not rude. How many of us might need to work on just not being rude? I do. Love is not rude. It goes on. It does not insist on its own way. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. Other versions say love keeps no record of wrongs. I just had that conversation with someone this week because can I rabbit trail and be a woman for just a moment? Is that okay? Okay. Pastor Carey is the best in an argument. Like there is no one as good as him in an argument. And I do mean that. And I call him a lawyer and I go, don't lawyer me all the time because he's really, really, really good in an argument. And, and so he says to me when he's asking me like, well, you know, bring your facts, like bring your facts and share with me why you're frustrated. And I'm like, I don't remember. Like, I don't. And then I said to him the other day, do I need to keep a notepad on my phone of all the things you do wrong so I can bring my facts to an argument? But the Bible says, keep no record of wrongs. 
I Jesus juked him. <laughs> it was so good. It's real. Listen, love keeps no record of wrongs. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. I love this part. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. What if we just made the choice to love well every day? What if we just made the choice to love well every day? And how do we do that? Well, we do it like Daniel did. You see, when you read his story, he's polite. He's standing strong, but he's respectful of the people that he's working with. He's standing firm, but he's influential and he's helpful. He never budged in his convictions, but people respected him and they loved him. Daniel chapter six, verse one through five, it says, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. This is their government structure of the day. And Daniel is ruling over these people. And it says the satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. And then it goes on. Now Daniel distinguished himself. Well, how did he do that? Among the administrators and the satraps, he did it by his exceptional qualities. And so because of that, the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom. And at this, that ticked off the people that he was, he was leading. The administrators and the satraps, they tried to find grounds for charge against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Listen, it was not Daniel's good looks. It was not Daniel's degrees. It was not his skill set. It was not anything. It was just his willingness to stand firm, to stand firm, to be consistent, to love well. See, we can't control our skill sets. We can't control our looks. We can't control a lot of things, but I can make a choice whether or not I'm going to love well tomorrow. We can make a choice whether or not I'm gonna have a good attitude tomorrow. These aren't feelings, they're choices. So I wanna give you three things that you can do to love well in your culture. And I'm gonna talk fast and the band can go ahead and make their way up. But I want to encourage you, if you want to love well in this culture where God has placed you, number one, go into your culture and serve them. Go into your culture and serve them. You know, I feel like this kind of goes against our mentality today because most of the time we want people to serve us. But if we could just go and find needs and figure out how to fill them, it would make such a big difference 1 Corinthians 9, 19, Paul says this, though I am free and I belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. We go into our culture and we serve them because it sets an example of who Jesus is. We do it to win as many as possible, whether it's the people in our office that we work with, whether it's our own children, whatever it might be, there is nothing greater that we can do than to serve others. Jesus said that he who wants to be first must become servant of all. Go into your culture and serve them. See, Jesus did this too. Jesus knew everything about everyone. 
He knew everything that everyone had ever done. He knew everything that everyone was ever thinking. And here's something to know about Jesus and how he brought the truth in love. Jesus connected before he corrected. You should write that down. Jesus connected before he corrected. And that's what I'm asking us to do. Go connect with someone. Ask questions. Find out what's going on in their life. Ask if you can pray for them. See, there's a story in the Bible. If you ever went to Sunday school, you may have sung a song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Anybody? Okay, a few of you. The young ones are like, what? (laughs) What? Hey, listen, Zacchaeus tells this story about this tax collector who stole from everyone. And he, he hears about Jesus and he goes to kind of see Jesus, but he hides because he's ashamed of his life, really, but he's not really willing to change. And so he climbs up in a sycamore tree to see what he can see. Anybody? I, that was way off tune. It doesn't matter. I'm not on the worship team. He climbs up in a tree and he, he's looking and watching and it says that Jesus comes walking by and he sees Zacchaeus up in this tree. Here's the thing. Jesus knows everything about everyone. Jesus knew that Zacchaeus was a thief. He knew that he was a liar. He knew that he was a cheat. And what does Jesus do? He, thief! No, he doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't accuse him. He says, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm headed to Pizza Port. Why don't you join me? No, he says, I'm going to your house for lunch today. He connected before he corrected. And this stunned people. It stunned people. And Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house the worst of the worst. Everyone knew him to be a thief. Everyone knew what Zacchaeus had done. And everybody's looking, going, why is Jesus hanging out with him? And Jesus goes into Zacchaeus' house, and we don't know what happened. We don't know the conversation that was had. One day, I'll stand in front of Jesus and say, tell me about that conversation. But what we do know is that after lunch, Zacchaeus came out And he gave away multiples of money to everyone he had ever taken money from. Obviously, there was a major connection. Zacchaeus, he changed. But after lunch, after lunch, sometimes as a church, it's easy to get on this dogmatic platform of that's wrong, it's not right, how can we stand for truth? And we do. We stand for truth. We never waver in our convictions, but we do everything in love. You got to connect. Pray for someone. Have coffee with them. Find out the story. I guarantee you there's a story. Every one of us has a story. Find out the story. And then real quickly, because I've got to finish. Number two, set an example for them. Set an example for them. And some of you are like, well, that's the problem. (laughs) My life really is not an example for anyone to follow Christ. Listen, my hope as a pastor is that you're going to come to church on Sunday morning. Listen, we love for you to be here, to engage, to listen to the message, to worship, to figure out how it applies to your life. We want for you to get into a connect group because in a connect group, that's where you're going to find freedom. Our hope is that you will jump on the dream team and be a part of a group of people making a difference I'd love for all of this for every single one of you to happen. But the reason is because I know what will happen if you do. Through that, your heart starts to change. 
And if I went around this room and had people share about what God has done in their life by getting connected through the church, you'd hear the story of, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be either. God's working inside of me. And what I hope is it changes how we respond. I hope that when we go into our workplace, when we go into Starbucks, when we wait in a really long line in a grocery store, when we connect with a friend for coffee, whatever it might be, that somebody sees something different inside of you and me and it draws attention to us. I hope it changes how we respond. I hope we're more patient, we're more kind, we're more loving, we're more full of grace. I hope we're more full of joy in the most difficult circumstances because people watch and they go, how are you so happy? I know what's happening in your life right now. And we get to tell the story. It has nothing to do with me. It's everything to do with Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16 says, you are the salt of the earth. You're created to add flavor. You're created to make things better. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Continues on, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Everything we do draws people's attention to Jesus. Jesus tells us we're the salt of the earth. So show up in your world and make things better. You see, sometimes Christians can be the most judgmental, easily offended people on the planet and all in the name of being spiritual. Stop it. This is not the representation we're called to be of Christ. The joy of the Lord should be our strength. We should forgive others as Christ forgave us. We've got to learn how to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. We've got to learn how Matthew 18 says to go to our brother or sister who's offended us and have a conversation, not to hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness inside of us. Why? Because we're the light of the world. We're pointing people to Jesus. And the greatest influence we can ever have in our world is how we live our lives. And it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be better, just a little bit, day by day, day by day. So serve them, set an example, be the salt and the light. And number three, share Christ with them. Share Christ with them. You don't even have to share movement church. I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't tell them about the best church in the entire world. But really, you just need to share Christ. So how do we do that? Well, first you listen. First you listen. And then you tell your story. You tell about who you were before Christ and who you are now. How has God turned things around for you? 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16 says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Hey, just fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ might be ashamed of their slander. You see, St. Francis of Assisi said this, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. 
How I act is more important than what I say. And for some of you, that's a problem. I can't act the way that I've been acting. But listen, if you try real hard, you're not going to get far. But when you actually grasp a hold of the power and the love of God, and you realize it for yourself, capacity to love others just happens. First John says we love because Christ first loved us. And when you receive the love of God, a miracle takes place. And this message right now today is not intended to be a self-help, go do better, let me pump you up kind of message. This message is simply to lead you to the only person who can change your life. The only person who can change your life. And when you experience the love of Jesus, capacity to love others will blow you away. Romans 5.28 says, God demonstrated. He didn't tell you he loved you. He showed you. God demonstrated his great love. How? By sending his son Jesus to die on a cross for you and for me and for everything we did. And I just got to tell you, Movement Church, there's few people in the world who love you as much as Pastor Carrie and I love you. And you're like, ah, you don't even know us. Hey, listen, we moved our entire lives to Orange County, California before we knew your name. There's few people who love you, I promise you, as much as we love you and want the best for you. But I gotta tell you, I don't know that I love you enough that I would sacrifice one of my daughters for relationship with you. Nope. But God, God demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinning. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if you could ever grasp that kind of love, capacity to love others increases. Could I just pray for us for a moment? Could I ask everybody in the room just to do this simply? I'm gonna ask you as we pray, just to hold out your hands like this, just in a kind of position, like if someone was gonna hand you something and you were gonna receive it, I just want you to kind of prepare your hearts. And I wanna pray that God's gonna increase our capacity to love. Lord Jesus, I just ask you, God, Lord, I ask that you would be so real to us today. God, I thank you for every person who is in this room. God, I know it's not by accident that they're here. God, I thank you that you love us. God, in spite of our failures, in spite of our mistakes, God, you still loved us. You gave everything for us. And God, today I just ask that you would increase our capacity to love others well. God, I pray that you would help us with our words. God, help me with my words that the things that I say would actually build others up and not tear them down. God, I need your help. God, forgive me for not loving others the way that you love them. God, change my heart. God, help me. In Jesus' name. And every head still bowed and every eye still closed. I just want to pray for somebody in the room this morning. See, there's somebody here, and maybe there's multiples of you who you've never received the love of God. Maybe you know it in your head, you've just never actually experienced it in your heart. And there's some of you that have grown up in church, but you've fallen out of love with God. And today you would say, Megan, I just need to take a step towards the love of God. 
And you see, it's just a decision you make to receive. There's nothing you can do to earn this. There's nothing you can do to earn the love of God. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if you're here today and you need to know the love of God, and you've never made a decision to surrender your life to Him, today is your day. And maybe you're here and you've been running from God, and today is your day to run back. And I want to pray a prayer for you because it happens in a moment. It's a decision we make to say, Jesus, I give you my life. And so if you're in the room today and that's you, and today needs to be your day of decision, I'm gonna ask you bravely, nobody's looking around, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. But if you're in the room and today is your day, you need to make a decision to step towards the love of God. I wanna ask you all over this room, just to slip your hand up and slip it right back down so that I can pray for you. So if that's you, would you just raise your hand and put it right back down so I know who I'm praying for? I see that hand, anybody else? I see those hands, awesome, anybody else? All right, and in your own hearts and in your own minds, would you just pray this simple prayer with me? Are you ready? Jesus, I know that you're real. I thank you for giving your life for mine. And I ask you to forgive me. I need your help. I can't keep doing it on my own. So today, all over this room, if that's you making this decision, let these words be your own. Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Please email us at info at and if you were not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Please send us an email at info at Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.